Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. And within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. Booyah! I've lost about 100 pounds and I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in ketosis. Oh, yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. We're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Cal? That would be no. <laughs> We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Yup. We love to cook and we love to eat. Mm -hmm. And every episode, we both share a keto recipe that, you know, can't be ignored. Cannot be ignored. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's start podcast number 105, Eating Fat to Satiety. Heard you say you're due for a little... So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Last week's show was the What We Got Wrong show, yeah. and uh, I, I need to actually revisit last week's errata. Oh, right. We got that wrong. Uh, it, it turns out it was actually me who called the anti-vaxxers weirdos. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it wasn't Ivor, so I apologize Sorry, for Ivor. Uh, and in the context, what I was talking about was that to dietitians who are convinced that saturated fat clogs your arteries and that plant-based diets high in whole grains are the only path to health, those of us who favor a ketogenic diet are probably considered weirdos as well. Probably. Um, you know, I personally, I'm pretty happy to stack good evidence supporting our approach against the weaker observational associations that, from horribly confounded data that supports the orthodoxy. But, you know, not to reopen a wound from last week, the anti-vaxxers don't really have the luxury of robust evidence supporting their position, a lot of its opinion. Yeah. So I'll just repeat my claim that the ketogenic diets and anti-vaccination really are not travellers together on the same road just because they're both heading away from the commonly accepted view. These are really orthogonal uh, yeah, paths. Yeah. So um, I, I, I really don't want to – I have a more important thing to worry about uh, than vaccinations, and that is uh, the tsunami of type two diabetes, mm. and so that's going to be that's my focus, and I'm 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 not really worried at this point about vaccination. We're moving on. Let's do that. <laughs> so let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. It's any diet where you enter a state of ketosis, which means you're burning fat for mm -hmm. fuel, either fat on your body mm -hmm. or fat that you eat. And the byproduct yep. of that is ketone bodies, and those ketone bodies, along with fatty acids, fuel your body. And make your brain very happy. So there's a surefire way to get into ketosis, and that is to eat less That's than 20 grams of carbohydrates a day, um, only from green leafy vegetables, nuts, little dairy, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So no sugar, no starch. No sugar, no starch. Uh, protein's going to remain moderate. That means one to one and a half grams of protein a day for every kilogram of lean body mass that you have. Yep. And then all of our energy we get from fat. 
Fat. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely, delicious fat. Absolutely. So, Richard, how was your week? Uh, My week was pretty good. Uh, Of course, it's uh, Chinese Lunar New Year here, so Gong Hai Fa Choi. Oh, yeah. Happy Happy Year of the Dog to you, too, as well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And uh, Jules and I have been looking for recipes that we can keto-fy for our dim sum season, which is on the two keto dudes. We're doing Chinese-themed recipes, but all small meals, so that's also fun. We're in the process of buying a house, or at least we, we went to an auction yesterday and bid on a house, ah. and we didn't win the auction, but we think that the uh, real estate agent was playing silly buggers, oh, and yeah. uh, so we'll see what happens. That uh, You know, it, it is what it is. Um, the other thing is that I'm getting ready for university, and uh, um, I spent the day in at the university library on Friday, mm-hmm. and uh, I did an orientation tour, and during the tour... Uh, we were sitting on computers and the librarian was telling us all the features of the library. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, I'd logged into my credentials <laughs> and I, I was downloading papers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I'd, I'd managed to get all of the papers that George Cahill had produced oh, yeah. except for one. And, and it came up and it said, you know, you're not uh, allowed to see that. Right. And so I put, I put up my hand. In fact, the, the, the librarian who's giving the tour said, so are there any questions? And I put up my hand and said, uh, I've got a question. Let's say I logged into <laughs> to my client credentials and let's say that I wanted to get all of the papers from one author and let's say <laughs> that, that I've gotten all of them except for one. And, uh, and, uh, and she said, Oh, well, in that, in that hypothetical, I said, who said anything about <laughs> hypothetical? <laughs> <laughs> and so she showed me. She said, "Here's how you do it. You just you just request it." Huh. And apparently, if I want a paper uh, that's in any journal that the university has access to, I meet, need merely click my fingers, and a librarian somewhere in the world goes and pulls this physical journal out of some repository and scans it and emails wow. it. Wow! So so that's what awesome. Power? <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm enjoying that. And uh, next week is the first week of uh, contact week of lectures, and so ah, that's I can't wait to hear your stories about uh, what happens at uni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all going to be boring. Yeah. So how was your week, Carl? Well, uh, first of all, my week was great. And and first, before I get into what I've been doing this week, a shout out to my new friends at Farm True. So this is a local shop, local to me in Connecticut, mm. that makes and sells ghee. You know, ghee is is mm. clarified butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Indian cooking is full of ghee, and it it it, it mm-hmm. doesn't have the smoke point that butter with milk solids in it has. So you can use it for frying. Sure. So they reached mm. out to us to talk about coming to Keto Fest, and I okay. took the twenty minute drive up from my house to go for a visit. And these people are. It's a very small shop. I counted maybe seven people in there. They but they're fascinated by ketogenics. And they've mainly been supporting the paleo, gluten-free communities sure. and also the Ayurvedic philosophy, mm-hmm. which posits that everyone has a unique mind-body type and the foods that we need to eat are determined by that body type. Well, anyway, right. their ghee is amazing. Mm-hmm. I've been dousing my food in it all week. <laughs> um, they weren't sure if they would get any results from advertising with us or anything like that and. Of course, this is just the kind of product that we like to support because it's real, you know. Um, I told yeah. them I'd give them a shout out on the show and see if they got any response. So, 
Nice. If you fancy some amazing <laughs> grass-fed ghee shipped right to your door, go to ghee.2keto.com and order it. And remember, ghee is spelled nice. G-H-E-E. So that's the first thing. The second thing nice. is very relevant to what we're talking about today, which is eating fat to mm-hmm. satiety. As a lot of you know, I've sort of been on a plateau for a long time and and I just was looking for ways to give myself a nudge to see if I could start losing weight again. So, um, for some reason, I got up the, the nerve to just eat one really big fatty meal <laughs> every day. And, you know, one meal a day, as Megan said, you know, isn't a strategy for losing weight. It's a strategy for maintaining weight. But th- it depends on what you eat, right? What mm. I decided to eat was mostly fat and, you know... Less protein than I've certainly been eating, even in one meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've right. basically been dining on pork belly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you have you been satiated, though? That's the thing. Yes, I have. Mm. If I'm not satisfied, if I'm hungry uh, before I eat, which is generally around 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, then I just have a, mm-hmm. an iced coffee with heavy cream, and that takes care of my hunger until it's time to eat. And then uh-huh. uh, I basically eat as much pork belly as I can, <laughs> almost to the point of being nauseated. That's how much I eat. Wow. And I've, of course, been cooking it in ghee. I've been deep frying it. Yeah. I've been sous viding it. I've been roasting it. I made a little mini porchetta. And by the way, I made a big porchetta for a party that I had here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Just like you did. Uh, exactly like you, except yeah. that I cooked mine in the oven, not in a uh, sous vide yeah, deep fryer. I, yeah, I deep fried yep. mine, which can be a bit of a disaster. And uh, Louise Reynolds tells us the story about where she tried to deep fry yeah. hers. Uh, and the the hot oil just leapt out of the deep fryer. So you yeah, got to be careful, it, be careful for, for water content in there so anyway it started on sunday last sunday that's uh six days ago from this recording when when i had the party the day after i guess it was monday i just ate the leftover porchetta and of course it contains thick slabs of belly fat right so that's it i've just been eating that and dipped in ghee and um i eat one meal I, i also have been drinking dry farms wine with my one meal, a couple glasses. And what are the results? Well, the other thing, I'll tell you the results, but the other thing that I've been <laughs> doing is in the evening, I've actually been having a bourbon. And that sort of okay. satisfies my need for whatever, you know, calories, so doing something with my mouth, uh, consuming something in the evening. But of course, it doesn't raise insulin. So, But that's not with a meal, though. So you no, just, that's just a, no. I'm. I right, just eat that one meal. I don't snack. I don't eat after. I don't eat before. That's it. Yeah. And I'm totally satisfied. And I think the key was just eating to the point where I'm almost nauseated. <sighs> and that's right. literally satiety. That's when you feel like you can't eat another bite. You're sa- you're satiated. <laughs> All right. So the results. Uh, since Monday, and this is Saturday, I've lost 10 pounds. Wow. That's significant. Yeah, it is. And I haven't seen that kind of weight loss since I first started the ketogenic diet. Yeah. That first six months where you really, you you know, it all flies off. Oh, yeah. Totally flies off. And Mm. so, you know, here I thought, 
you know, fasting for prolonged periods of time was necessary in all of this. No, it turns out it, it isn't. Nice. Oh, that's outstanding. Good result. Yeah, really good result. And I feel this is completely sustainable for me. Um, I'm maybe, I may be psychologically missing food, but honestly, I don't feel like eating ever. And so that's, right. you know, that's just a, a kind of a new sensation. And mm. the other thing is my blood sugar and ketones are great. 76. Yeah. And 1.6. Blood sugar. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Very nice. So it's working. Well, that's awesome news, Carl. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I feel like giving away a mug. Do you? Yeah, me too. All right. So what we're doing here is every show we give away a mug right now is what we're giving away. Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to mm. one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And uh, to join the fan club, just go to fanclub.2keto.com, answer a few questions, and you're in. And we'll just pick your name at random. So I have a winner. Nice. Who have we got? David Pegg. Well done, well David. Done, David. Congratulations. A <laughs> mug is coming your way. A mug with our yep. mugs on it. And, of course, if you don't want to wait to win a mug, you can always buy one at gear.2keto.com or pick yourself up a T-shirt or a onesie or an apron. All sorts of else? junk. All sorts yeah. of junk <laughs> with witty keto sayings on them. All right. That brings us to... Oh man, that sounded like Sister uh, Mary Elephant right there. Class! <laughs> Shut up! Class! <laughs> Thank you. So, what do you got, Carl? Uh, I got a five star Apple podcast review from Sue. And she says, Thanks, You guys are one of the very few trustworthy sources I can find. And I cling to your podcast like solid rocks in a sea of misinformation. <laughs> uh, thanks. I have been a healthy pescatarian for most of my life in the belief that it's quite an ethical and healthy option. But I keep an open mind and I enjoy dietary self-experimentation. So I currently am following a keto diet and loving the effects. After watching The Magic Pill and then an interview with Lierre Keith... I'm thinking of trying to support grass-fed farmers of meat, as it may be more ethical than pescatarian, veggie, or even vegan for our future generations. Mm. Do you think that her argument is scalable and can help stamp out factory farming? Thank you so much for your wonderful contributions. Oh, thank you for the review, yeah. Sue. Um, I, I haven't heard that interview, so um, I don't uh, know to comment on that, but... What I would say is that as far as ketogenic diets go, I think that going with a high-fat diet and a low-carbohydrate diet will get you 90% of the way there and then taking it up to the next level and getting grass-fed meats, a better source of fats, is probably going to get you the next 9%. Mm. So that really the difference is from your point of view as somebody looking to eat healthy, then you're going from 90% to 99% of the way there. Mm. Uh, as far as ethics go, I really don't have an opinion on the ethics yeah. because uh, I'm really trying to improve my uh, my health outcomes, pers my personal health yeah. outcomes. So I'm trying not to be unethical while doing that, but my primary goal is my health outcomes. But as far as sustainability goes, there was a lot of talk for many years about vegan diets being uh, more sustainable because uh, it took less water and diesel to produce a kilogram of broccoli than it took to produce a kilogram Meat, of yeah. 
beef. Yeah, but the thing is that we don't eat kilograms of food. We eat calories of mm. food. We eat for, for the energy that we need to sustain our mm. lives. And if you look at the amount of calories in a kilogram of broccoli compared to a kilogram of yeah, beef, yeah. Uh, there's a lot more calories in beef and a lot more nutrition mm. in beef. And so I would say that there's certainly an argument to be made that it may be more sustainable to grow ruminants on all of the grassland on our planet that we can't grow crops on. Which is like, I mean, that we can only, there's only 4% of the planet's land right. surface that we can grow crops to feed humans, yeah. but 20% of that land area we can grow crops to feed right. ruminants like cows. So, um, you know, th there's a good argument to be made. Yeah, for listen that. to Peter Ballastead. We talked to him about that. So it's obvious to me, addressing the sustainability thing, that it's possible to have a sustainable farm where, uh, mm. where, you know, no fertilizer is needed. And, you know, Michael Pollan proved that in his book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. He went to a farm where they did the rotation, the correct number of animals and how the chickens came and ate the bugs and then defecated and yeah. grew the grass and the cows ate the grass and then produced the milk and all that stuff. So uh, it is possible. And as far as sustainability goes in terms of meeting the requirements of our nutrition, I think that America mm. has a rich history in rising to meet demands of of uh, consumers. And so if consumers right. decide to seek out and buy grass-fed meat, yeah, it's going to be expensive right now because there's a shorter supply of it. Mm. But as the demand grows, you're going to see more farms, more sustainable farms, and you're going to see more competition. And, uh, you know, that's just sure. the way it works. So, yeah, I think mm. it's completely possible. And I, for one, would love to see, you know, all, uh, you know, a grass fed, sustainable meats in all of our supermarkets replacing factory meats someday. And, right. you know, if, if they can get to the same price level, great. They probably can't, yeah. but uh, I would rather pay for it because guess what? I'm meeting less. You yeah, know? that's true. Uh, that's a good point. And I tell you what, have you ever driven past a feedlot? Oh, it's terrible. The smell? Outrageously oh, disgusting. terrible. Yeah yeah. 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 Well, anyway, that's my mail. What do you got? Uh, I've got one from uh, Keto Toronto on our forum. And Keto Toronto says, I've been on a long stall, so I'm really trying to take notice and be grateful for all of the non-scale victories on the forum. This morning, as with many mornings now, I have so much energy and mental clarity that I just want to be dancing at a concert, jogging by the seaside, working out at the gym, or anything active and yeah. exciting instead of sitting in my cubicle at work and trying to contain this fabulous <laughs> yeah. feeling. Over the previous decade or two, I've had much trouble concentrating at the office, but for very different reasons. I spent my life feeling tired, lethargic, foggy-brained, generally unwell and just trying to make it through the stressful days at work so I could go home, lie down and mm. rest. I was forever trying to fix it and become healthier, but I didn't have the right tools. Even though a part of me regrets so much wasted time, I'm 43 now, I like to remind myself that I still have many, many good years to go and I'm very grateful to have found this way of eating in yeah. time. I have some damage left to my body from nine years of poorly controlled type 2 diabetes but it could have been so much worse. Uh, 
I'm eternally grateful to have found Carl and Richard and the Ketogenic Forum, as well as the Reddit uh, slash r slash keto uh, community, uh, before it was too late for me. I have so much love for you guys. Makes me sad to know that so many millions of people won't find this in time and will go through their whole lives not knowing what being healthy feels like. And I just want to comment to that. You know, there's two ways to help these people. You could convince the dietetic and diabetic bodies and the Heart Association to look at the science and admit that their advice of the past 40 years was wrong, and hopefully they will then change the advice they're giving to all these people. The other way that you can help these people is we can reverse our own diabetes, our own disease ourselves, and then take personal responsibility for at least two other human beings at least two other diabetics among our family and friends and show them how yeah. to do it. And then when they've done it, we can tell them it's now their full-time job to find two more diabetics and pass the technique yeah. on. And if each of us reverses our own diabetes in three months and then finds two new people, in five years we'll have gotten the word out to one billion people and there's only 371 million diabetics on the mm. planet. So um, personally, I trust the mathematics of geometric progression more than i trust the heart association <laughs> yeah. or the the dietitian's ass of australia or diabetes australia yeah, yeah. yeah agreed and that's a uh, kind of relevant to what we're talking about today as was uh, my experience this week which is eating fat to satiety and i mm. i just we need to answer the question what does that mean what the heck is that <laughs> so uh keto toronto's message and you know my experience this week um, are really coloring mm. our conversation that we're having right now about eating fat to satiety. And we need to ask that question, what is that? You know, how, <laughs> what the heck is eating fat to satiety? I, I, I can tell you that that's exactly what I did this week. Mm. I took all the things yeah. that I know work for me, which is eating in a short window of time every day and, mm-hmm. and not eating after that time, which is really important for me. I, I think this is basically what my problem was i was eating when my metabolic rate was low or or challenged or something and i'm 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 not sure why but seems like stopping eating around 5 p.m. for me works really really well combine that yeah. with more fat than you think you can eat <laughs> <laughs> and you know enough protein but you know not 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 crazy just enough not a lot yeah not it. a lot yeah. of it yeah. And I and I mm-hmm. noticed that one day when I didn't have pork belly, I decided to just get some sausage and deep fry it into little meatballs and mm-hmm. dip it in ghee and eat it. And that was more protein than I was eating the previous days. And I could tell, you know, I could yeah. tell I didn't have enough fat. Big difference, huh? Mm. Yeah. It also reflected itself on the scale, which I know isn't a great measure, mm. but it's certainly when it's dramatic, it's dramatic, right? It's a measure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So, so that's it. I mean, I just found that I could do it. I could sustain eating that one meal, pretty much the same meal every day, which sounds so boring. Yeah. But I just tell yeah. you, the feeling of satiety that I got lasted for 20 plus hours. It's that nice. dramatic. So that's yeah. my eating to satiety experience. Yeah, I think one thing Jason Fung says is that there's a difference between eating one meal of however many calories Mm. and then not eating for the rest of the day or eating 
that same number of calories, but but every hour right. on the hour, you eat just one twenty-fourth of that number of calories, but you do it the whole right. time. And so he says it's a little bit like a, you know, you're keeping it, the insulin elevated yeah. all the time. Me, I think that's a little bit like, you know, when the when the crowd at a cricket game gets really <laughs> bored, they start, somebody blows up a beach ball and then everyone <laughs> try, try, tries to keep it aloft yeah. and it's sort of the same, just, same kind of thing. I mean, they don't do that so much at baseball, yeah. but... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, probably the root of your major transformation this week. But yeah. Hey, it's working for you. Go for it. Yeah. It is working and I feel like I can keep doing it. Yeah. That's outstanding. So when we were thinking about this whole satiety thing, we got a message on the forum by Keto Toronto, who we spoke about earlier. Um, but this message was really asking um, uh, should we concern ourselves with lowering our metabolism if to satiety? Uh, is too calorie restricted, oh. and uh, and so I wanted to take a crack at a real answer to describe exactly what satiety is, and that is it's a signal to tell you that you've just taken on enough fuel. And I'm going to temporarily extend that definition to include not hunger. Mm. So being satiated also means n- not being hungry. Yeah. So as long as you're not hungry, let's say that you're perfectly satiated. So let's assume that we're all keto here and that insulin is not taking energy off the table before our bodies can get to use it or otherwise deranging us. So let's try a thought experiment. What happens if you get to satiety, you've just eaten the right amount of energy that your body was hoping to get for yeah. the day, but then you keep on eating another couple of hundred calories. Right. And this is really overeating after satiety. And so... Obviously, what happens is your body will suddenly have more fuel than it thought it was going to use. So there's two likely outcomes for it. The first is that it will store some of that energy for a rainy Mm -hmm. day as Mm -hmm. body fat. So you're going to increase body fat if you eat after satiety. And the second thing it will do is it will take on more energetic tasks and it will waste some of that energy. Hmm. So, for example, your body temperature might raise just half a degree, which will make your immune system slightly more Mm -hmm. efficient and your immune system will go to work a little bit harder and so your body will do all of these energetic tasks that because it's got an excess of energy all of a sudden the thing is that these two things storing more energy for rainy days body fat and taking on more energetic tasks the first one is the one that people who are obsessed with weight gain think about oh if i eat too much food all of a sudden i'll put on too much fat But I personally find the second one more interesting because uh, what actually happened was you increased calories in. What did your body do? It increased calories out, your metabolic rate. Experimental evidence has shown us that when we overfeed people, we're trying to make them put on weight. It's very difficult to get most people to put on more than about 10% of body weight. So you're saying there are actual studies that show when you overfeed people, they can't put on weight overfeeding doesn't mean gaining weight not always and so there is actually a famous study by ethan sims called the vermont overfeeding study and this is where he took prisoners they were volunteers um, and they overfed these guys to try and they were trying to increase their body weight their total body weight by 20 percent and there was one guy he was unable to get his body weight above 11 percent and this guy's total energy expenditure uh, went from 2,000 at the beginning of the experiment to 10,000 kilocalories wow. per day. So, you know, his body was just just 
finding all sorts of interesting creative things to do with energy rather than storing it as body wow. fat. Now, granted, he did increase his body weight by 11%. Mm. So that, and that was obviously body fat. Mm -hmm. It's not like when you overeat, you aren't going to put on fat. Uh, but there will be a limit and it will change the calculus that your body uses to, to deal with Interesting. energy. Now, let's look at a different thought experiment. This is under eating before satiety. Oh, so yeah. let's try that side of the experiment. What happens if you knew what point satiety was going to be? Uh, but you intentionally stopped eating every day a few hundred calories short of that. Mm. So let's say your body was expecting to have 2,400 calories, but you gave it 2,100, so we're 300 okay. short. Okay. So the first thing that your body will do is it will start to use some energy from storage. Yeah. Okay, it will draw down some mm -hmm. body fat because um, it, there's a shortfall. The other thing it will do is your body will go into a budgetary crisis and it will fall low highly energetic processes and it will conserve energy for essential services hmm. so essentially what that means is that the first thing obviously if you eat less food you're going to lose some right. body fat but the other thing you will do is in the process of going into a budgetary crisis your body will do a couple of things it it will dial back the amount of energy that it uses yep. so it slows your metabolic rate it'll make you feel like eating yep. all the time um, and the other thing it will do is it will find alternate sources of energy yeah and one of those sources of energy is lean yeah. tissue so that's the problem with a caloric restriction in advance of satiety mm. is that you now start drawing down on lean tissue yeah Nobody wants to do that. No, that's right. So let's have a look at some keto calculators. Let's say that you eat to satiety, but some macro calculator on a website tells you that you have to eat a few extra calories to get your fat calories okay. in. Or it tells you that you have to stop eating before you hit satiety. You're now following some magic calculation that some website has determined to be perfectly appropriate mm. for you. But really, do you think that website knows more about your specific fueling requirement than your body yeah, does? Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it, my friend. Your body is not stupid, as Jason says all no. the time. It's not <laughs> stupid. That's true. So there was a classic experiment done by Leibel et al. Uh, in 1995, and this study looked at changing people's total energy expenditure based on changes in their energy availability. Mm. And so what it what it really did was it, it tried to increase people's body weight by 10% by letting them eat whatever they wanted, mm. and then they had them hooked up to a liquid feed tube where they were able to decrease the amount of energy coming in. So they were able to get them to go... Initially, up to 10% of increase in body weight. Okay. And then they brought them back down to their initial weight, and then they took them down an additional 10% loss, and then they took them down a 20% loss. Yeah, yeah. And what they were able to find was that as the people increased their body weight, the study found a 500 calorie per day increase in their total energy expenditure. So as they had more energy available, their metabolic rates. Calories increased. out goes up. Absolutely. And then when they were able to bring them back to the starting point, their metabolic rate went back to exactly the same point. Huh. And then when they were able to decrease it by 10%, their metabolic rate dropped yep. by 300 calories a day. Yeah. And uh, when they further decreased them another 10% uh, to 20% total body weight loss, they lost an additional 300 calories per day. This falls right in line with everything that we've experienced personally and everything yeah. that we know uh, people have experienced on our forums, um, patients of Dr. Fung and Megan on the Obesity Code podcast. Mm -hmm. 
all say the same thing. You know, when they when they eat less, calorie restrict, they're hungry all the time, they lose some weight, and it all comes back on. And when they yeah. eat fatty foods and no carbs, uh, the weight comes off. That's it. I mean, this is why the whole calories in, calories out thing is yeah. wrong because uh, – you know, let's say your body's budgeting to use 2,400 calories a day, but you only give it 1,200 calories a day, which, you know, could be a reasonable scenario in a low-fat right. diet. The question your body fat needs to answer is, can it deliver you that additional 1,200 calories to make up right. the deficit? If we assume that you have absolutely no insulin in circulation, mm. which would otherwise limit how much energy your body fat can deliver, and let's assume that you have infinite body fat, <laughs> so it's not... Like let's you know if you if you had only a pound of body fat left, yeah. then obviously it can't deliver you two sure. pounds worth of energy. Sure. But let's say we have a, you have infinite body fat, then your body fat can deliver the energy on demand, and your total energy expenditure doesn't have to change yeah. at all. And you could still draw down those twelve hundred calories of stored energy, mm. and hopefully you'll weigh roughly a third of a pound less every yeah. day because twelve hundred calories is roughly a third of a pound. Okay, so let's try a different thought experiment. Let's say you've got zero body fat. <laughs> this is a thought experiment, so you know it doesn't have to be reasonable. Um, so obviously your body fat isn't going to be finding you that 1,200 mm, calories nope. shortfall. No. Uh, but you do have an alternate source of energy for emergencies, and that's protein, yeah. lean mass. Yeah. So you can burn that for energy. So maybe your metabolic rate doesn't have to drop to 1200 calories let's say you can make 600 calories in budgetary cutbacks now you only need 600 calories and you can draw down 150 grams of protein roughly a third of a pound a day you definitely don't want to do this for too long because you won't be no, able you'll to. starve to death exactly you only have a limited amount of lean yeah. mass but in an emergency that'll get you through one day so that you can you know hunt down a, a woolly mammoth mm -hmm. and <laughs> and replete your energy so obviously those two uh, unreasonable. Nobody has infinite fat. Nobody has zero fat. Yeah. We're all going to be somewhere along the curve between sure. those two. So a rough calculation is that you can withdraw roughly 31 and a half calories per day for every pound of body fat. Okay. And your insulin level is going to affect that. If your insulin is high, then you can access less energy from body fat. If your insulin is low, you can access all that 31.5 yes. calories. How much weight you've already lost will have an effect on how much energy you can get from body fat. Where you are in your journey will determine how much fat or protein that you burn and what happens to your metabolic rate. And, and that's the main reason why putting the brakes on calories before satiation would be a dumb yeah. idea. It lowers the amount of energy that you use. Um, it puts you into starvation mode, which you know starts drawing down right. lean mass, which is obviously unsustainable. And, that, and the problem here is that that, of course, leads to yo-yoing mm. because if you're going to lower your metabolic rate and make you hungry, then what's the first thing that's going yeah. to happen? <laughs> you're going to start eating more that's food. Right. And because now your metabolic rate is lower, you'll put on weight even faster. So um, that's the thing. Eating to satiety turns out to be the, the, the only way to burn – well, it's the easiest way to burn body fat when your body will let you and not lose lean mass yeah. and not feel horrible when your metabolic rate is stopped. In my experience this week, Shows exactly that. Yeah. Don't fear the fat. No, absolutely not. I think there's probably three YouTube clips that I'd like to okay. play uh, from Dr. Right. Finney. And let's play the first one. All right. So 
This is an older terminology that Jeff and I had used, but we sort of divided the phases of a well-formulated ketogenic lifestyle into four, four steps. The first is the adaptation step. And let's say you have someone who starts at, say, 90 or 100 kilos. Uh, this is, I apologize, this is for U.S. audiences in pounds. Um, and when we take somebody who is, say, they're, they're, the textbook reference weight for them might be 140 pounds. So there's 25 kilos above that value. And we tell them to cut your carbs down to a level that allows you into nutritional ketosis. Keep your protein moderate, which is, you know, in the, you know, for this kind of person, maybe in the uh, 80 to 100 gram range of protein intake. So 35 grams of carbs, um, and uh, tell them, don't restrict your calories. You got your carbs down under 30, under 50, maybe 35 grams per day. You're eating protein in moderation. Eat fat to satiety. Don't go away from the table hungry. Most people will spontaneously limit their calorie intake to around 1,400, 1,500 calories per day. So it's not on purpose. They're not counting calories. That's just, wow, I'm not really that hungry. I don't have to have that second portion. That describes really the first stage where your body fat is contributing energy to your day. And so this is why people who use fat to satiety spontaneously limit the amount of calories coming in because they're able to burn all of their calories. Yeah. That's really the first step, and it's really about how fat to satiety works to dial you into a nice glide path that gets you down to the maintenance range. Yeah. The next clip that I want to play you is about fat hunger and the primary driver being satiety. So let's go to that one. The driver here is satiety. And when, people, when somebody's lost 50 pounds or 25 kilos of body weight, Two things will happen. One is they naturally will, they'll have greater what we call fat hunger. People say, how do I know what fat hunger is? Well, if you've eaten what was a reasonable portion and you think, I'm just not quite satisfied. You open the door of the fridge and the butter looks good. <laughs> That's fat hunger. The butter looks good. <laughs> the butter's looking good. That's how you know. <laughs> That's fat it's so hunger. easy. Butter looks <laughs> yeah. good to me. Wow. Yeah. So the third clip that I want to play is in response to a question that somebody asked Dr. Finney, how much fat do you really eat? I, I don't measure it because I, I, I basically I eat to satiety. I let my instincts tell me what to eat. And we find it takes people six months to a year telling them to do that before they come to trust the fact that that once you get the carbs out of the, you know, low enough down that you're, they're out of the, their intolerant range. And as Dr. Christofferson showed you, you know, you eat and your insulin goes up and you get people off that roller coaster. And our natural characteristic or our natural instincts actually serve us very well. But for me, we're talking in excess of 200 grams of fat a day. Because I'm eating less than 50 grams of carbs. That's 200 calories. I eat somewhere in the range of 80 to 110 grams of protein a day. That's about 400 calories. That's 600. I burn probably 25 to 2,700 calories per day, and all the rest comes from fat. And that's in excess of 70%. Of, and then that puts me in the range of 1,800 to 2,000 calories of fat per day. 
And this, at the dinner table last night, we had this wonderful buffet and excellent foods, and some of them were moderate in protein. There was some cheese on the dessert table, so that was good. But we had to ask for a dish of melted butter t to come to the table so, so we could all get our fat intakes up to the point that we wouldn't wake up really hungry in the morning. So um, I kind of encourage people to experiment with themselves. They can, you, know, you can do the quantified cell thing and weigh stuff, and, and, but eventually I think what people learn is when they get their carb intake down to within their personal tolerance and keep protein moderate, that the instincts you were born with are your best guide. Wow. He's so right. I was actually at that dinner, and I remember he and I both had the same meal, uh, pretty yeah. much. And it was a lot of fatty fish, mm. you know, salmon and trout, and uh, and a lot of seafood as well, which is you know not a lot of high fat right. in seafood. And he asked for 250 grams of butter melted nice. in a bowl, and he ladled it over all of yeah, his food. That's awesome. <laughs> He's a thinner man than I am, and I didn't need as much fat to satiate myself, right. and he needed a little bit more. And this is the thing, you know, we each have uh, bodies that are finely attuned to, to knowing what their energy requirements are likely to be for the next day, and what access to energy they have from storage, and what expectations they have for eating, uh, for what, what meals have you fed them recently, and they will tell you using satiety signals uh, when you need more energy. Yeah, that's great, man. Well, I'm going to stop being a foodie for a while and sort of take a vacation from all the wonderful things that I like to eat. <laughs> and I'm just using pork belly for the win, my friend. So what are you going to do for recipes? Uh, it's I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How about we do a recipe with pork belly? Well, I'll definitely do that today. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's time for some recipes with pork belly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, maybe I should go first. Sure. As you know, as I said in the show, I'm eating one meal a day. It's very fatty. Yeah. And uh, it's mostly pork belly. Yeah. You better do a recipe with pork belly, right? <laughs> I'm going to do a recipe with pork belly because sure. guess what? <laughs> There's so many ways to cook pork belly. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is Chinese roast pork. I got a story for you. So I mm. was working in New York at a, a software company in 1990. Mm -hmm. 1989, okay. 88, 89. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a Chinese restaurant in this town that I was working at. And I used to go there once in a while for, for lunch. There was like a, you know, diner and a pizza place. And this was way before keto, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I walked in one day and I said to the Chinese guy, family run place, I said, mm -hmm. what's good today? Uh -huh. What's really good right now? That's what I want. <laughs> and he goes, Chinese roast pork. Right, and it's something that you don't usually order on the menu. Chinese roast pork. Usually, you you order chop suey, fried rice, whatever. Mm -hmm. All these things have roast pork in it. But he goes Chinese roast pork. I said, "Give me some of that." Give me some of that. <laughs> so it came right out of the fryer, and he chopped it up, and he put it in a little pint jar, and gave it to me with some sauce. And it was like the best thing ever. Yeah, it sounds good. So the Chinese roast pork has that. It's, it's pork shoulder that has that red food coloring to it, and it's a mm -hmm. little sweet. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's in a, a sticky sauce, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a sticky sauce. It's got cinnamon and cloves and star anise and yep. anise and fennel. Ch Chinese five spice. <laughs> yeah, Chinese five spice, right. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to recreate that for my, you know, my experiment here. Mm -hmm. So here's what you do. You get three pounds of pork belly or... Pork shoulder, pork belly has more fat. Yeah. 
good. <laughs> Cut it into three or four big chunks. You need a few tablespoons of salt. You need some Chinese five-spice powder. You can get that in any grocery store. Sure. And again, that's got cloves and cinnamon and mm-hmm. fennel and uh, anise and star anise. Yeah. And you're going to use your favorite sweetener. I've uh, uh, come to use xylitol again mm-hmm. because I've heard anecdotal evidence anyway from Megan and Jason that in their experience, xylitol is the only sweetener that doesn't raise insulin. Okay. I, d- I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think everyone's so different. So I think, you know, their experience, they, they see thousands of people. So in you're probably ex- right. Experience I have no idea. The, the most likely thing. Yeah. I have no idea. Probably best to avoid sweeteners altogether, but I'm mm-hmm. going to use uh, xylitol here. So I got a, a few tablespoons of that. Um, optionally, you can use some red food dye if you really want that red. Pillbox red, they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Dark red color. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been using peanut oil for frying. Uh, I've been going to Stop and Shop, which is my local grocery store here, mm-hmm. uh, or Big Y. And the, the store brand peanut oil, the ingredients are just peanut oil, which right. is good. Planters good. has pure peanut oil. Mm-hmm. Some others have additives. And I try not to use peanut oil that has additives. But if you're Richard, use beef tallow yep. or lard. Mm-hmm. Great. Awesome. Yeah. And here's the thing. You don't even have to fry it. You can you can cook it in the oven to crisp it up if you want. Right. All right. So you combine the rub ingredients, which is the salt, the Chinese five spice, the xylitol, optionally the red food dye, and you apply that rub to the pork chunks and getting it in every nook and cranny. You want to save a little bit of that for the sauce, okay? Mm. You're going to have a sauce here. Mm -hmm. Um, If not, you just combine a little bit more in those same ratios for the sauce. So you want to cook that pork. Now, there's multiple ways to cook pork, right? We can do a sous vide, which Mm -hmm. we love sous vide. We use the Innova sous vide stick Mm -hmm. or the precision cooker. And they don't pay us to say that. No, they don't, but they're awesome. I use my Innova (laughs) Precision cooker all the time. And you know who else doesn't pay us to say anything? Shun. Shun knives. They're awesome as oh, well. Oh, <laughs> Shun knives. Yeah, I have a great Japanese uh, knife that I bought when you were in town, actually. Yeah, yeah. I've got a full set of them. They are outstanding. So, But they don't pay us to say any of that. They don't. They no. don't, but it's a great knife. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I found this local guy who's got a truck, <laughs> you know, like a food truck, but it's a knife sharpening truck. Oh, yeah. And he... Sh- he took the divots out of my shun knife for eight bucks. Right. How good is that? <laughs> I had divots in it because I think I whacked the Thanksgiving turkey You don't uh, whack carcass. things with a knife. So no, I, you don't whack things with a shun knife. So I have, a, I have a, a full set of shun knives, including a cleaver, a big, yeah. thick, heavy cleaver. And this you is need really a cleaver for, to whack yeah, things. And <laughs> you do. And unfortunately, <laughs> I whacked uh, the shin bone of a, uh, a pork hock. And it took a divot, about a quarter of an inch divot out of my cleaver. Yeah. And it's wow. very thin. Bl- I was, I almost cried. Well, I found a little guy with the back, with a truck that does the same kind of thing here locally in Canberra. I took it to him and he took a quarter inch off the entire bottom of the knife and put a yep. new blade on it. Good as new. That's exactly what this guy did. Yeah. yeah and it was eight bucks. Right? Yeah. Well worth it. Anyway, I think. Well worth fun- it. I think we've uh, <laughs> recipes <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> hey, your recipes off the rails. So let's go. Let's go back to your recipe. So to be. Yeah. So you you rub all this stuff on it, mm-hmm. 
and then you cook the pork. Now you can do it sous vide. If you do it sous vide, you're going to be 160 degrees for four hours or so. Right. If you do it in the oven, you can get away with 250 degrees for uh, and and leave it whole if you're mm. in the oven. Don't chop it up. Put it in the oven in a container. So that's either an oven bag okay. or a Dutch oven. Okay. Right. Yeah. So with the lid on. Yeah. Yeah, with the lid on. So have it contained so all the juice stays in there. It doesn't evaporate right. off and yeah. it stays moist. So that will only take for a three pound, four pound pork butt only about two and a half hours. Right. At about 250 degrees. Mm. But if you're in sous vide at 160 degrees, you want to leave it in for about four hours. Yeah. So however you cook it, you take it out, you pour the juice into a saucepan and add mm-hmm. some more of five spice powder, salt. Yeah, just to kick the flavors up a notch. Yes, exactly. And you reduce that, you know, reduce it down a little bit. So now you're going to, if you're going to deep fry it, which you can do, this is a technique for crisping up mm-hmm. any meat, right? But the thing is, is that you don't want to overcook it temperature-wise before you deep fry it, because deep frying is going to raise the temperature internally. So that's yeah. why we only go for 160 degrees before we deep fry it. Right. You know, if you're going to cook it in the, and bake it in the oven, bake it for at, at 250 degrees for a couple hours. Yeah. All right. So if you're going to deep fry it in peanut oil or lard or whatever, you thoroughly dry it with paper towels. And I use a wok for frying now. I have a deep fryer, but I've, I've taken to using the wok because I find that I only need to use a quart of peanut oil in the wok, whereas I could use, you know, six quarts of oil or lard or tallow yeah. in the deep fryer the deep because fryer. it's so mm. big. Yeah. yeah. But the wok is sort of the perfect frying pan. The Chinese have perfected the frying pan. Yeah. Get yourself a cast iron wok, kids. Yeah, absolutely. It's awesome. Get a couple. Yeah, get one of the deep the deep ones as well for for deep frying and the shallow one for stir frying and yeah. Absolutely. All right, so you're going to deep fry the chunks until the skin is crispy. And it's only going to take 3 or 4 minutes. But it's really important that you dry it off. Don't have any water or yeah. liquid on that pork when you put it in or it's going to pop. Yeah. And, you know, you've got this heat on high, right? Yeah. And your wok is smoking hot. Your oil is smoking hot. You don't want oil dancing around in the, in the middle of the air in the kitchen. <laughs> no. If it bubbles over and it hits that flame, man, watch out. Yeah. You're going to have yeah, an yeah. oil fire on your hands. Yeah. Be careful. All right. So three or four minutes, you take it out. Let that pork rest for four or five minutes. And then your sauce is reduced. You cut it up into into bite-sized pieces and pour the sauce over it or have the dipping sauce on the side. Mm, yeah. And, man, that's good. That's yeah. what I had today. It was nice. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I think I'm going to have to make myself some of that. I'm I'm going to fire up my sous vide stick and uh, and make some of that. Nice. So my recipe today, this is following on from your recipe last week where you did chicken skin as a mm. wonton wrapper. So you, yeah. you use chicken skin to, to wrap, I think you use chorizo. So what I'm yep. doing today, I'm using a, a new kind of, uh, or new to the, to, to uh, the Western audience, uh, a new kind of, uh, technique for making a skinned roll. And that's something called yuba. Now, yuba is, uh, have you ever boiled milk 
and there's like a scum layer on top and you can dip yeah. a spoon in and you can pull that scum layer up and like when you were a kid you probably lifted it up and made faces with it and stuff you know it's not like a scum a- but more like a skin right yeah yeah that's exactly what it is so this is this is uber is skin from the top of uh soy milk and so wow. when they make so- soy milk they just grind up soybeans hot water up to 90 degrees Celsius, just short of boiling, and uh, that uh, expresses out the, the the milk out of the out of the the, the bean. Pot. Nice. So so in that process, they've already got soy milk already at temperature, and then they just pull the mm. skin off. They put it down on a rack to dry, and then they go in for the next bit of skin, and they just keep going until they've gone through all of the milk. And so what they do is they make these layers of skin. Now, soy milk and soybean are about seven percent carbohydrate. Which is really quite okay. low, for, and, and yeah. we're talking about this is this is going to be just a very thin skin around the outside of your otherwise keto ingredients, and so it doesn't add a lot of carbohydrate to your meal. Lot not like um, a wonton wrapper would, or you know, a, mm. um, phyllo pastry or any other kind of uh, pastry. So, mm-hmm. so that's the trick. So we're going to use this Uber, and now I've got a link on the on the show notes of how to make your own Uber. But you can buy this stuff. There's three different ways to buy it. You can buy it in frozen sheets, which is a little bit like phyllo pastry. Um, mm. It comes it comes wrapped up in a, in a moist uh, – and if, if you're going to use it, you just keep a moist towel over the top of it just to, to keep it uh, pliable. Um, and But it also comes in a dried form, uh, which is you reconstitute with a bit of water. So, um, and then these are just big, sh- big sheets, probably, um, two foot, re- two foot, uh, in diameter sheets that they've, that they make commercially. Uh, and then the third way of buying it is deep fried. And deep fried, yeah. uh, you steam it. So you, you, and it's like a thick, it's quite a thick skin that you can use for, for making, making dim sum. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so that you, de- you 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 steam before, you, and that makes it pliable, and then you can use for for rolling and things. So, what I'm going to do this this recipe is really, uh, I've I've got a link to it on the show notes. It's uh, it's actually from Serious Eats, but I made the recipe, modified it a bit. I love Serious Eats. Yeah, th- they're great, aren't they? Uh, so, um, yeah. but this recipe is mostly keto from their side. So I made a slight modification. They suggest to use sugar and cornstarch, a teaspoon of sugar and a teaspoon of cornstarch in their marinade. I don't use that. Yeah. For the rest of it, sure. it you, can, you don't need to use that and it's uh, perfectly keto. So you get about half a pound of ground pork. Yeah. Uh, you're going to put it in a bowl and you're going to refrigerate it for at least 30 minutes or overnight uh, with a marinade. Now, the marinade mm. I used was Shaoxing wine, which is Chinese sherry, cooking sherry. You can use mm-hmm. regular sherry as well. Just yeah. about a, a, probably about a teaspoon of Shaoxing wine. Not a lot, but it gives it a unique flavor. Okay. About a teaspoon of soy sauce. Yeah. About half a teaspoon of minced peeled fresh ginger. Now, I use a microplane grater to get a really fine grate on ginger. Now, this is really awesome because I learned from the frugal gourmet in the 90s. Mm. Jeff Smith was his name. Okay. He was on, he, he, he did, uh, uh, cooking with our immigrant ancestors mm. and a whole Chinese bit. Chinese cooking is all about those three ingredients, sherry, soy, and ginger. Yes, yes. So yeah. the other thing that goes well with ginger in a lot of Chinese meals is garlic. So you can Marianne? either see... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry nice, yes. So, yes, uh, I'm sorry. Marianne uh, does go well with ginger. So, uh, but the other thing I always goes, liked her better. Yes, everyone likes Marianne better. Yeah. So you're basically going to marinate your pork uh, for at least 30 minutes in this mix. And what happens is 
the proteins in the pork start to break down a little bit and it becomes gelatinous, uh, glutinous, mm. I guess you could think. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and then you're going to stir it. Uh, you're going to stir this pork, um, quite a lot. Now, the other thing that you, that, um, you want to do is you want to, while this, this, uh, meat is preparing in the fridge, you want to get your Meson Plus in place. So you want to start working with some, you want some anaki mushrooms, uh, and you want to, Pull those into th these are the really small little uh, the small little heads on a long stalk, and so the head is about maybe uh, yeah. an eighth of an inch uh, in diameter. Some people might call them straw mushrooms. Yeah, straw mushrooms as well. So, but yeah. you can use any mushroom. You can use wood ears. You can use uh, any kind sure. of uh, ideally Chinese mushrooms, woods. but yeah. it doesn't really matter. The recipe says to use carrots. I didn't use carrots. I used slices of green onions. So nice. Flavor. Bring the flavor. Bring the flavor. So in my Maison Plus, I had enoki mushrooms. I had slices of green onion, mm. really slivers of green onion. Yeah. I had bean sprouts as well, bean sprouts. Um, these are, were mung bean sprouts. And then I had the pork that I had out of the fridge. And so I had these ingredients ready to go. Yeah. I used thawed out frozen yuba skins, uh, bean curd skins. Mm -hmm. So I, what I did was I, I cut a rectangular piece of a, uh, of, a, of a set size that would be enough to, to fill one end with my ingredients and then crimp the edges in on either side and then roll the whole thing into a roll i put a little bit of uh, egg white over the the lip just to seal it like a little envelope yeah. like licking an envelope and <laughs> so i made like 16 of these spring rolls now how did you cook them frozen bean curd skin needs to be steamed first okay the other skins you reconstitute in water and so they can go straight into the fryer but so what i did was i steamed it i steamed the skins with the meat inside now that pretty much cooked the meat so all you would now need to do is to finish them off so what i did was so i steamed these and i put half of them aside in the freezer put them in a freezer bag so yeah. i'll get back to those in a couple of months time i'll go hmm i feel like some dim sum and i'll pull them out of the freezer and i'll take the rest of the step but so yeah exactly you know <laughs> you know how i work i do man what i did was i took half of them that i'd steamed out of the steamer, I put a little bit of lard in a frying pan and I fried the outside of them so that so that they, oh, they turned crispy. Um, nice. And then, then just before just before the meal, I had a big meal of dim sum last night. I had sumai, I had hagao, I had um, mm. uh, zaolong, I had um, um, all, all sorts of stuff. But anyway. One all of the recipes things, that are coming up on Two Keto Dudes. <laughs> Not to tease anything, but, you know. No. Um, so I even had uh, a recipe using Chinese crullers, a little bit like um, – <laughs> a little bit like a Spanish tapa, tapas uh, okay. churros recipe. But anyway. Churros, yeah. And I made little Portuguese custard cakes as well. Um, that recipe will be coming up as well. Very good. So were they awesome or what? They were awesome. I, just to warm them up before the meal, because everything else was coming out of the steamer, I, I put them in the steamer just after they'd been fried. I put them in the steamer for like you know two minutes just to, just to get them to plate temp. So, so doesn't that take away the crisp though? It does a little bit. The whole point of the frying was the visual appeal because they're a little bit uh, sort of beige in colour, and so you yeah. put them in the fryer and they 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 you get that Maillard reaction, the, sure, the browning, yeah, yeah. and it looks lovely. I, I probably could have taken them straight out of the fryer, straight onto the plate, and they would, or or I could have deep fried them as well. Okay, <laughs> plenty of options. So you steam them. You steam them because you wanted to just sort of incorporate all the the flavours and get them moist. 
I want the temp. Inside. I want everything at temperature. I want everything at at, at yeah. same temperature when it's served. But yeah, they were delicious, and uh, and I really like this Uber stuff. So I'm going to be using it, it for some more recipes. Um, I did. A I got to try of, it. Yeah, yeah. It, see if you can find it. You just go to a Chinese store and you look for bean curd skin, and it'll be most most likely you'll be able to buy the dried stuff, and you'll reconstitute it with water. Okay. Cool. So that's my recipe. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah. It's good. Mm. I, I love this idea of small plates that we're doing. It's fantastic. And I hope uh, I hope our listeners like it. Yeah. But, uh, man, what a great show. Thank you for your dogged research and, you know, your commitment to what you're doing. And I, 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 I can only hope that in the coming years when you get through university, your contributions to the ketogenic community are just going to continue and continue to be awesome. Well, we hope so. But anyway, um, all of the stuff that I've got is on the ketogenic forum, so I suggest people uh, get in there and have a look at it and tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah. I would love to know where I'm wrong. Yeah. Good show, buddy. Of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute, anything that we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com or post it on your website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2KetoDudes, on Instagram at 2KetoDudes, and make sure to use the hashtag 2KetoDudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the Two Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our podcasts and our forums, think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. Or just hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. And if you want to join us at KetoFest this year, yeah. check out KetoFest.com. Mm-hmm. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Well, keep calm and keto on, Richard. Keep calm and keto on, Cal. All right. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.